verse number 12. I hope you'll be back with us for the evening service tonight. Patch the Pirate will make a presentation. Brother Brian Butler will be speaking, so I hope that you'll come, bring your Bible along, and be with us at 6 o'clock this evening. And men's prayer meets downstairs at 5.30 for any of the men of the church who'd like to join, uh, men who gather there. And then uh, choir practice, of course, at 5 o'clock. And anybody who's a member of our fellowship who'd like to join with the choir, you're welcome to do so. Be glad to have you with us. This morning in Romans chapter 5, we talk about sin is connected to life, not to the law. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Don't read any further in verse 14. Skip to verse 18. The reason is, if you notice, there's a parenthesis there, and rightly so. Verse 18 then picks up what he just finished, therefore. The therefore is based on verse 12. What he said in verse 12, Wherefore, as but one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many may be righteous. For moreover the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Like a lawyer, Paul the Apostle writing the epistle of Romans, and especially in this text of Romans chapter 5, Gaze uh, comes to us with an opening statement, as it were. The first part of chapter number five, as I've said to you before, deals a lot about the security, the real, the real uh, fruit of salvation, the security that comes in knowing Christ and all the things that he places in verses one through 11 to subsidize that, certify that. When you come to chapter five and verse 12, however, it is a matter like a lawyer who's making this opening statement, but uh, as he's making it, he doesn't finish what he has to say because what he starts in verse number 12 really isn't a completed sentence, so to speak. What he's got to say, he finishes in verse number 18 and following. But what lies between those two is as if as he were talking, something else came to his mind and he wanted to explain that before he forgot it. And so he starts explaining in verse 13. And he goes 13, 14, and 15 to explain something. And then when he gets to 16 and 17, he has another thought. And he finishes that. And then he finally comes back at verse 18, back to what he started talking about in verse number 12. That may not make much sense to you now, but it will as we come to, as we look at it and focus on it in these next few weeks. I think you'll see exactly what we're talking about. But it's not until verse 18 does he finish what he starts in verse 12. But what's between here and there, that is verse 12 and 18, very important truths and those we want to focus on this morning. First off, in verse number 13, he says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Verse 13, an interesting statement because we've been talking about law because we've been talking in the earlier chapters about the Jews and their confidence in it. Their idea was, of course, that, you know, Paul had written oftentimes in Galatians, he has one verse of Scripture that three times in it says no flesh can be justified by the keeping of the law. Three times, one verse. And the consequence of that is that, that the reason for that verse is that the Jews believed in keeping the law, you could be justified before God. 
folks in this auditorium may believe if you keep the law, the Ten Commandments or the old written law, that somehow God will look with favor on you and open the doors of heaven and say, hey, you come on in here. Uh, you're one of us. Come on in. You're welcome into heaven. You kept the law. You're our friend. There's one problem with that. The Bible is crystal clear. Nobody ever kept the whole law. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who kept it perfectly, and he, of course, did not need salvation. And there's a reason he didn't need salvation, which along the way we'll allude to. But the point made in this context is, and verse number 13 is starting out, Paul is enlarging on his argument that in Adam all became sinners. That's the real basis of verse number 12. And you could not, should not ever forget that. And let me tell you what that means to you. What verse number 12 means is this. If you were born in this world as a human being and you never committed one single sin, you'd still go to hell. That's what that means. You know why? Because it's in Adam that you in, are, in, as it were, imputed with Adam's sin. And it doesn't matter whether you sinned or not, you would still go to hell. Because it's not what you do that sends you to hell. It's what you what? what you are. So what you are sends you to hell. What are you? You're an offspring of Adam. And since you're an offspring of Adam, you do sin. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray, turned our own way, done our own thing. But the fact of the matter is, if you never sinned a sin, I mean, if you were born and then you were, were growing up, as it were, and at your age before you came to some accountability state, that you somehow were incapacitated to where you could not, could not get out and go in and sin. But you had a good, clear mind. The fact is, in this slave, you were put in an iron lung. And so there was no humanly possible way you could commit a sin physically. The only way by your mind. And let's say you had a clean mind, a pure mind. And yet you were understanding of everything about life around you. What sin is, what it is not. The fact is, if that were possible, that person would still die in their sin unless they trusted Christ as Savior and they would still go to hell. Because they are offspring of Adam. And that's wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Death is the consequence of sin. But death is the consequence of Adam's sin. Now, and the fact is, since you were born in Adam, everybody born in Adam is going to die. Period. That's what he's saying. And the consequence of that statement then is, he said, death passed upon all men. Why did that happen? Because all are sinners in Adam. That's what it said. All have sinned. And the word I told you last week in the Greek, heirs tense, carries the word sin in verse number 12. It says back at a point back there, we all sinned. And the consequences, of course, are in our presence. Now, with that in mind, then he says in verse 13, far under the law. And I personally think what Paul was doing here is that all of a sudden he thought of the Jews. He said, they're going to sit there and think about this law deal. And they're going to think they're exempted from this. So what Paul steps up and says, now look, for you Jews who are sitting here before me and listening to this message, and you think somehow that you can keep the law, let me make a simple point. Verse 13, for unto the law sin was in the world. And that's an important way to start it. He goes, as it were, Paul does, to a historical moment in the law keeping, and he says, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Let me make the point of what he's saying clear. To push his point before God gave the law on Mount Sinai. Sin was in and already at work in this world, but was not formally charged. You see the word there in verse number 13, not imputed. It was not formally charged to men's account until uh, Moses comes along and receives the law from God. Now listen to me carefully. It's uh, not, not imputed. It's not charged to their account, but... Uh, 
when there was no law, and he's talking again about a formal law, but in Romans chapter 2, we read it, we studied it, and we talked about it. Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 16 said, even when there was no law, there was a law. And this law was the one of conscience and the one of creation. And though you were not formally charged in the sense that it was written in a book somewhere and you were brought before a court and brought before Moses and the people and they read the law and said you violate, there was no formal law. And what he was saying is, before the law came on deck here, it was a matter that you were not formally charged with it in the sense of the written law of Moses. But I want you to see something. It's important to note this. Some believe this is the passage of Scripture to which Paul was alluding in Acts chapter 17. You remember the story in Acts 17? Let me refresh your memory if you don't. Listen to this. Acts 17 and verse number 24, Paul was on Mars Hill. And as he'd come to that city and he'd made a tour of the city of, of, uh, in Athens, and as he did so, he noticed that there was some uh, uh, idols that had the inscription to the unknown God. And chapter number 17, verse number 24 said, God hath that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if aptly they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And the times of this ignorance, the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. In verse number 30, when he talks about that there was a time of man's ignorance of which God winked at. Word is sometimes translated, God overlooked, God gave leniency. Now listen to me and listen to me good. What many believe, and some believe at least, about the passage in Romans 5, it is this period of time. It is this time before the law was formally set out that God overlooked some things, and God gave leniency to some things. And it was a matter that in so doing, people began to get the idea, hey, this isn't such a bad thing after all. And then in here in the Acts passage, he says, but now, but now, God says, stop and understand, he commends everybody and commands everybody that they repent. You see, here's how it works. God reveals His will. He did so early through the law. The law was to show you how bad sin was, how much we could sin, what we could do, what sin was. It divined all of that, and He described it. Then came along the prophets. They preached it, but bent even further than that. And then eventually came on the apostles. And then finally, God sent His own Son. All through the New Testament, the parables are the story about how that there were servants came and they did certain things. And then God one day sent His Son. And boy, when God sent His Son on the scene, that changed everything. It changed everything. This was a full and complete responsibility. Here's what it means to you and me. It simply means the more clear the will of God, the more severe the punishment for ignoring it or breaking it. 
There was a time when God did not impute to man. Verse number 13 says he did not impute their sin to them. There was no formal law. God gave leniency in that sense. But here's the catch. More truth that you have been exposed to, the greater accountability you'll answer for, and the prospect of greater punishment or damnation you will endure. And now, here's the thing. Back to this passage of Scripture. In verse number 13, Paul goes back to build on it, and he does so in verse 14. He said, nevertheless, nevertheless, just because God did not impute to them their sin when there was no formal law, verse 14, nevertheless, that means though something did happen that you need to get a grip on. Nevertheless, even though they were not formally charged with sin where there was no formal law, nevertheless, what happened? Death still reigned. Death still reigned from Adam unto Moses. He's saying that sin was universal even though there was no formal law. That is evidenced by the fact that in the consequences of sin, that death still overpowered men. People didn't want to die, but they died. The obvious thing is if you go to the Old Testament, in fact, maybe we should, in the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 5, we don't need proof of this, but I think it is a good thing to be reminded of. In Genesis chapter 5, listen to these verses. This is a record of an endless funeral procession. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 5, and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And then down to verse number 8, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Down to verse 11, and all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Verse number 14, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Then down to verse 17, and all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Verse number 20, and all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Interesting, then there's a bright spot, verse 24, and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. A bright spot, but it gets right back to the funeral procession. Verse 7, in all the days of Methuselah, the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years, and he too died. And then in verse number 31, and the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. Now here's the catch. If you have trouble believing that sin is in this world, and you have trouble believing that sin is a real thing. By the way, there are people who do. Let me name you some. I went through a book that I have, and I just pulled, a, pulled out the book that I knew would give some info on it. Here's some I jotted down on yellow slips of notepaper. Regarding sin, the Christian science people teach, quote, salvation is ceasing to believe in the illusion of sin. That's what salvation is to the Christian science, is the ceasing to believe in the illusion of sin. The Baha faith, they teach, quote, people learn sin, therefore they can learn not to sin, and thereby they achieve perfection. Baha faith, end of quote. Regarding the Satanists, Satanists teach, quote, there is no sin or sin nature, therefore death on a cross by Christ was useless and a sign of his weakness, end of quote. Satanists. Regarding sin, the New Age people teach, they simply say, quote, sin is defined as ignorance of personal divinity. Man is a sleeping God to be awakened. That's salvation. That's what the New Agers teach. I think the capstone of all of them is what uh, the Unification Church teaches. This is Reverend Moon, Mayung Moon. He, here's what it says. This is out of their training manual of the Unification Church. Quote, 
by loving the Messiah. By the way, that's Moon. That's Reverend Moon. By loving Moon or the Messiah and obeying and believing the Messiah more than own your own life and by doing what he requires with great faith, now we can realize the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. Father Moon is sinless and his children are sinless. This is called the Messiah's family. This was established in 1967 on December the 31st. Through Father Moon and Mother, that's his wife, he can or we can be born anew sinlessly. Father Moon is given authority here on earth by God to forgive sins. Now what's interesting about that? The fellow contradicts himself. Did you catch it? He says, first of all, Father Moon is sinless and his children are sinless. Then it says, back in 1967, December the 31st, through a union of Father Moon and Mother Moon, his wife, we can be born anew sinless. So we're born sinless. Then he goes on to say, however, Father Moon can and has been given the authority to forgive sins. Wait a minute. If, he's, if he was sinless and his offspring are sinless and, and, and all the ones born after him are sinless, then how and what need is there to forgive sin? The fact is, the guy contradicts himself and doesn't even catch it. And to me, it's rather a, a unique and new point. The fact is that sin is real. And in his case, I think he's just confused about it. But the point back here to Romans chapter number 5, and something of far greater importance than what Reverend Moon thinks about sin, is this fact. That it is a fact of sin that people die. And that's the consequence of sin is death. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. It is not something that Baptist churches have come up with as a concoction. It is not to say that you can't prove it. You can. You can prove that sin is real by simply going a block or two south or north of here, and there's a cemetery, there's a field. It is, it is littered with tombstones. Those people died for something. They died for a reason. There was some reason why they died. As I said last week, whether you be 150 years old or whether you be a newborn baby, your death is related to the fact that Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, sin passed upon the death, passed upon the whole human race after Adam. Everybody who lived thereafter is under the curse of death. And the fact of the matter, no matter how much people say, I don't believe in it, all you have to do is go to the cemetery and you say, that's proof that sin exists. That's proof that men and women, boys and girls are sinners. Here at ver verse number 14 of Romans chapter 5 again, note he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, Death reigned or death was controlling from Adam to Moses even over them. Watch this. That had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. The phrase, the similitude of Adam, is simply a Greek word that means a, a resemblance or the likeness of it. What Paul is pointing out is this, and it's an important point. Paul is pointing out that during this period of time, of which he's alluding here, people sinned. But it was not by the breaking of a specific command as Adam did. Let me refresh your memory. And here's a way to keep it down in four points. Number one, Adam sinned by breaking a specific command of God regarding the eating from a certain tree. Remember, he ate and he died. Second point, the law, that's the formal law, came on the scene after Moses was given the law by God. But before that time, men sinned during this time, but were not formally charged with a sin. That was, that was, it was not imputed to them. And then point number three, however, even during this time, verse number 14 says, people died. 
But if they're not charged with these sins against the law, because the law at that time, they did not impute this sin. They didn't account it to anybody's account because it was not formal law. Then why did they die? That's the fourth point. Fourth point is very simple. They died because they sinned in Adam. That's why they died. And that's the whole point of this text of Scripture. Interesting to me that in this nation's earliest beginnings, there were some teaching tools. You, you've heard the, of the New England primer or primer, as they call it. It was a way or a means of teaching young children. And in that New England primer, it was under the letter A, a child would read these words and have to recopy it. The letter A, quote, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. When you get to the letter X in that same list of, uh, of rotated truths, under X a child would read, Xerxes the Great did die, and so must you and I, in the quote. Even the New England Primer taught this and taught it very clearly from Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, and verse number 13, and verse number 14. It is your connection to Adam that you are a sinner if you never committed a single sin. You are connected to Adam, and you can't get away from it. That's why you can try as hard as you will, do as good as you can, and you still die in your sin and go to hell. Because you have been, as it were, imputed with Adam's sin. If you miss that, you miss one of the great truths of the Bible. And by the way, one of the bases, the very foundational basis for true salvation. That's why there may be people in this country who are not saved by the grace of God who think they are because they don't understand their connection back to Adam. They think they're pretty good people. They think that they have followed the church's program. They've gone to church. They've been baptized. They sing the songs. They give to church. They believe there is a God in heaven. They believe the good things about people who are moral. And yet, when they die... They're going to go to hell because they don't understand a fundamental truth. You're a sinner not because you have not done some things. You're a sinner because you're connected to Adam. And unless you get a grip on that, you're going to miss some fundamental basic truth of what all the epistles are about. And I say to you, Paul the Apostle said, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to understand it. And as a pastor, I'd say the same to you. I read a book a few days ago, and in this book it said there are three basic attitudes toward death. Interestingly, it said, first off, there's what we call an attitude of death accepting. This was back in the period of the old world when uh, people, you know, you read all these stories about the fighting and the, and the wars. And seeing, it seemed like people just didn't care to go off to war and die. You know, they'd sit and show a picture of a gladiator, you know, I'm going to go die today, you know. And, and they'd have a caption underneath. He did, you know. He said he was going to go die today. He went off and he died today. The fact about all that is that was an attitude those people had. Death, which is, you just accept it. You, you're born and you go die. That's the way it was. But our present society is not that. Ours is one, as this man described it, as death denying. He said you can tell people are denying death by several things. One is they're trying harder than we've ever tried. We spend more money. We spend more time. We spend more effort. We spend more energy in trying our best not to let these bodies get too close to the grave. And he said we're doing everything. I mean, it, 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 even though the scriptures teach it very clearly, every wrinkle on your face is a reminder you're dying. Everything in your, even the, the color of your hair tells you you're dying. These are the good graces of God. God's saying, look, my friend, as you grow older, you're getting closer to coming to meet me. And it's important for you to understand that it won't be long. And you need to prepare for that. You need to shift your emphasis of priority from living in this world and doing all the things this world offers you to a reality that you're going to be in eternity somewhere while you were on earth for just 70, 80, 90, or 100 years. This is just a snap of the finger as to what you're going to spend there. 
And by the way, spend is the wrong word. You can't use it up. It's a forever matter. And yet we spend or invest ourselves so heavily in this place, in this time, in this moment. And I say to you, what the Bible says is shift your priorities. Shift your emphasis. Don't be putting all your eggs in this basket. Put your eggs in the other basket because that's where you're going to spend a lot more time. You're going to have a lot more to do over there than you are here. So don't waste yourselves on this thing. Wear yourselves out. Drive yourselves nuts. Spend every dime of your money on things that have absolutely no eternal value. That's what he's saying. And yet we do. You know why? Because as this man says, we're trying to deny death. We're trying to say... Even though we go to Baptist churches and we subscribe to Baptist confessions, we still have this tendency to blink. This is it, buddy. Yeah, you better get all that gusto you can on this round because there ain't no other round. This is it. This isn't it. This isn't it. And the sooner you come to understand, this is just a simple blink of the eye as to what lies just ahead. And the moment that you're called out of this world to meet God, this is just going to seem like a bad dream if there's any seeming at all to it at all. You may not even remember it. I do believe the Bible speaks about the erasing of the mind. I believe that there is a sense in which we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I believe it's the same thing that happens. Back years ago, we had a, a uh, I don't know, we maybe still do have it, Randy. We have a tape eraser, the thing we erase tapes, yeah. You can take that thing and you, you can run that. Is that the handheld thing we do? You could take that tape eraser and you could turn that thing on and it would go mm -hmm. you ever been around when it drive you nuts because you feel like your teeth are just mm -hmm, you know like that but the fact is you can take this cassette tape and everything I say in the morning service for those of you who want to get back at me you can grab this thing and run it across it and it'll erase everything I said in that tape I mean you can put me out of business in one swipe and everything I said is gone now let me tell you something if some human can come up with a way to erase a tape with one swipe, don't you know God who created man in his own image with his own great power could erase from your mind everything you've ever thought about if he so chooses? And my personal feelings and conviction about the scriptures is this, that that's what part of the change is when we are changed when this life comes to an end. There's not going to be a lot of remembrance about this, if any at all. And it's for good reason. Because this was that chapter in our existence when sin reigned. It was dominating. As we get over to Romans chapter 6, you see it more clearly. Sin dominates. And God said, I don't want you to remember that here. I have no interest in you remembering that. And with one swipe, as it were, God will re remove all that. And we'll focus on what's then and there. But I submit this to you this morning. That do not get so caught up in this world and don't drive your tent pegs down so deep in this society that you forget that one day you're leaving here. This is not all there is. This is just a, a part of the journey on the way home. But don't get your priorities wrong. Then there's that third group of people and this is not just the death accepting people, not just the death denying people, but there is in this present society a group called death defying. Death defying. Those are the folks who trust the Lord and believe with all their heart that death is really just an open door to who and where we really belong in our heavenly home. And so consequently, that's the group I want to belong to, and I, and I do belong to that group. That's my crowd. It's death-defying. 
we read in the Sunday school hour this morning, and well, rightly so, the, the fact of the <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ going into the city of Nain, and he ran into this group of people, this funeral procession coming out, said they were coming through the gates, and the Bible speaks about our Lord going up and speaking to, speaking to the dead man. So when somebody says to you, said, yeah, that's a bunch of Christians, they talk to the dead. No, I have never talked to the dead, but my Savior has. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the dead man on that bier, and he said to him, son, rise. And the scripture says that he sat up, and then he spoke. You know, I never talked to the dead, and by the way, I don't trust people who do, but I trust my Lord. And he proved himself because when he spoke, the dead listened. And in this case, he sat up and he spoke to them. And the Bible says, and then our Lord gave him over to his mother. Now, that's the kind of Savior we have. And that's why we're accused of being the death-defying crowd. We're death-defying. We have a Savior who raised the dead. And we have a Savior who imparted eternal life into every one of the people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. It's not just about a quality of life you have right now. It's about a time you have life with Him, which is really living. I say hell is not living. It's existing. But those who reject the life that God offers in Christ eternally exist there. Job says something, and this is, I think, somewhat of a testimony from Job. Listen to this. In Job chapter number 19, a passage of Scripture that I've often read and appreciated, and it's almost as if it were a testimony. Job writes this in chapter number 19 and verse number 25 through 27. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body... Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Verse 27 then says, Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Paul wrote it just a little bit differently. He wrote it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Here's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Listen carefully. He says, <clears throat> excuse me. Paul says in chapter 15 and verse number 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's important about that passage, and as much as I wanted to, when we covered that passage of Scripture, I did not deal with it. What that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is saying is that what happened in Adam has been reversed for the believer. You see, we had and carried with us, as it were, the curse of sin. And the curse of sin is death. But when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, believe on Him as your Savior, there is a certain sense in which that process is reversed. He gave His life for you and me. And when giving uh, his life for you and me, he gave us a life that will last forever. And there's a, an excitement about which Paul addresses that and will address it even further down. But for the moment, look at verse number 14 again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the likeness or the same way Adam sinned in a direct transgression. Because, as he's trying to point out, even because there was no formal law, still people sinned. And in this case, he's saying just because you didn't sin in a direct command, uh, uh, dis uh, disobedience to a command, uh, that's not the point here. 
Then he goes further and watch this statement. In verse 14, he says, who is the figure of him that was to come? The word figure is a key word there because it's the word in the Greek typos. It's a word from which we get our word type. And uh, it's interesting, though, what this means is that this is the only Old Testament person. Adam is the only Old Testament person that is specifically called to be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an interesting thing. Of all the people in the Bible, you'd think that the Bible itself would speak up and say, here is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would not think of Adam. In fact, it's hard to think of Adam and Jesus Christ in the same breath for some reason. They're just, they're so contrary. But what Paul is about to do is introduce you in a contrasting way to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Adam and show you something unique here. First off, he would point out to us, and it shows it in this context, which we'll get some today and some next week, is that Adam was the head of the human family. And in being so, he affected all of the human family by his sin. Jesus Christ is the head of the heavenly family, and he affected all by his death. And he affected all the sin of all the people who are in Adam. I say to you that that's an exciting truth in the scriptures because it says that no matter what Adam did, Jesus Christ came along and it neutralized it. And that's what he's done. Jesus Christ has neutralized what Adam did to us. And the only way it can happen, of course, is by you trusting Christ. That's why you say two things. One, Christianity has the only explanation for why people die. Did you know there are scientists in this world who say to this day, we do not understand why human beings die. They don't understand. They do not understand. There is an article right now that as I think is it's right now, it's in the library in Johnson County. And I know it's in Indianapolis Library because I already quoted from. But there is a statement in there that says they're, they're right now at the point where they think they have found the reason, humanly speaking, why people die. Just now. Let me tell you why people die. People die because they're in Adam. And sin passed upon all men, and it is because of man's sin that he dies. It's as simple as that. And the problem with that is that mankind doesn't want to accept that. But Christianity said it a long time ago, and Paul the Apostle declares it here. Christianity is the only religion in the world that gives an explanation for the reign of death. Secondly, and this is important, Christianity is the only religion in the world that gives a solution to the problem. It says, why, here, here is Adam. Yeah, Adam did a bad thing for the whole human race. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ did a thing so much more wonderful than that. That's why when we come over to chapter number 20 where it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The statement and the language all says this. No matter what Adam did, Jesus Christ did far and away enough to not only equalize it, but to do us better. So we're actually better off after what Adam did and what Jesus came along and did. We're better off than we were in the first place. And that's the good news. And that's what you'll see develop as we continue. One thing, I picked up a book, I believe it's by Harry Einside. And Harry Einside wrote that on a tombstone, there is a place in St. Andrews, Scotland, where four small children are buried. They're buried in the same grave, one marker. By the way, uh, as you read this thing that's written on their tombstone, it's obvious that the guy who wrote this, the person who wrote this, presupposes that children who die in their infancy are saved by God's grace and they go to heaven. That's obvious as you read through this. He says, quote, this is what's on the tombstone of these four children in Andrew, St. Andrew's Scotland Cemetery. Quote, bold infidelity turn pale and die. Beneath this stone... Four sleeping infants lie. 
say, are they lost or saved? Now listen, if deaths for by sin, they sinned, for they are here. If heavens by works in heaven, they can't appear. Reason? Ah, oh, how depraved. Turn to the Bible's sacred page, the knots untied. Then he adds two lines on the bottom of this tombstone. They died for Adam sinned. They live for Jesus died. Now, the fact of the matter is, that really is what Romans chapter 5 is actually saying. These were babies. These were small children. They, they didn't get up and do a great deal of sin. They died in infancy. Then the question is, why did they die? Why did they die? They died because of sin. Sin that was imputed to them, as it were, through Adam. And would have they sinned if they lived long enough? Oh, sure, sure. And many of us in this room, we, we not only are connected to Adam in our sin that came through him and imputed by him, but we sinned on our own. So we're sinners, all right. We're sinners by, as it were, imputation, and we're sinners by choice. And we've done all that. But these did not. But they did not, they did not, I repeat, go and die because they were doing sinful things. Now, sure enough, people do that. I said it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we talk about the, the Lord's Supper. There are some people who sleep because they are sinning, and God won't tolerate that. But ultimately, when men die and women die, that's not the case. Here's something else to be noted. There's a, the facts are clear, and this is the facts. There's a created man. His name was Adam. And, of course, I know that fact that the evolutionists want us to deny and try to avoid because they don't want any accountability. And I told you last week, uh, we give you time and to take out Romans chapter 5 out of your Bible if you're an evolutionist. Because if you're an evolutionist, you do away with Adam. If you do away with Adam, you do away with the accountability of sin. If you do away with the accountability of sin, then there is nothing to worry about. And that's why evolutionists hate the Bible so much. If they can get rid of about the creative work of God and the man Adam, they have virtually taken care of the ideal of you ever meeting God. And that's their whole point. Here in Adam's case, he sinned by directly disobeying God. He sinned, as it were, because God said, don't do something, and he did it. And then to understand that with sin's entrance also came along death. People die because they are sinners, not just on the basis of what they do, but their connection to Adam. Now listen, and listen carefully as we close. Don't blame Adam, and don't blame God. There's a tendency to say, wait a minute, I was not there, and I, I resent the fact that I'm being blamed for something that I wasn't present to vote on. By the way, it happens to you all the time, every day. You have representatives in the state house, you have representatives in the United States government, and, and those folks are voting and doing things in your behalf as your representative, whether you like it or not. It's a principle that has passed over the years, and it continues to pass. And in this sense, it's not that God took it from them. It's they took it from God. That's the representation process. And in this particular case, what happens here is it is something you would deceive yourself into believing. If you thought you would have been Adam and you'd have done things differently, you've been duped. You've been duped. That's what exactly what the devil would get you to be upset about is to think you would have done it differently. If I'd been presented with that ideal of not eating off that tree, I wouldn't eat off that tree. Oh, my friend, you were deceived. The truth is that we are all just like Adam even in the beginning. And the truth of the matter is this. God did not plan evil. He did allow it. But if evil had not been permitted, the wisdom of God would have never appeared so that you and I could appreciate how he overruled evil. And something else, nor would you have ever seen his justice in punishing it, his mercy in pardoning it, and then finally his power in subduing it. 
all of which we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ as believers. You may not be a lawbreaker, but you are a life sinner. If you've been born into this world and you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I grant you, you were not given a choice in the beginning. You were born under Adam's auspices and prosperity, as it were, and I grant you, you had no choice there. But you can thank the God of heaven. He gives you a choice now. John chapter number 5 and verse number 40, he writes, Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. People don't come to Christ because of their own selfish will. Their decision, I'll do it my way, I, I do my own thing, I don't need God, I'll do it my way, and I don't listen to that. I say to you, you should do and take heed to what Joshua said when he spoke for his family. In Joshua 24, 15, he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you right now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, there comes a place where you're going to have to make a choice. You had no choice back there. You were born as uh, Adam's posterity. And the fact of the matter is, that's just the way it is with the offspring. But now you have a choice. And people in this room who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they have a choice. And I say this to you, convincing yourself that there really was no man that was created by the God of heaven whose name was Adam, who sinned and therefore passed on you some sinful nature to which you have no recollection will not justify you before the God of heaven. In fact, of the matter, you convincing yourself won't change the facts one iota because all you'll have to do is get out of this building, get in your car, and drive north past that cemetery. And when you look at that cemetery, you'll be reminded, and not only that cemetery, but your own death will prove that God was true and every other man a liar. There was a man named Adam. He did sin directly in disobedience of God. And the fact of the matter is, all his offspring after him have been tainted and imputed with that sin. And so, you're going to die because of it. And that's why we have funeral services. That's why we have funeral homes. We have three of them in the city of Franklin. Death is a sure thing. It's an absolute given. And so, the fact of the matter is, it happens because of the sin imputed to you through Adam. But, by the way, don't give yourself too much of a pat on the back because even without that, you would sin. That's what Isaiah was talking about. Said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us have turned our own way. And the idea of the own way in the Hebrew was our own way of doing not only our life, but all those things we call pleasures and all those things we call enjoyment, all the things in life we have chosen in our selfishness. Not what's good for somebody else, but what's good for me. And by the way, you need to face up to this as I have to face up to it often. We're selfish people by birth and by nature. That's what the first sin was, a selfishness kind of thing. Selfishness. And so we are that way. That's why children fight over things. That's why adults have wars. That's why people have lawsuits. We're, we're selfish. We want it this way and no way at all. It's either my way or no way. I can say this to you. Something else, filling your life with all the activities of this world to the exclusion of God and His will and His plan for your life and for your family's life will not give you any kind of exemption from meeting God with his displeasure. You see, there are people who, what we call, politely ignore God. Politely ignore it. Meaning they, they're so full of good works, of good things, they have let go the best thing. And there are people like that. There are people who are so caught up in doing good things for our community, our country, our state, and then for other people individually. They're doing such a wonderful job. But the problem is, 
all to the exclusion of their responsibility to God Himself. A responsibility first and foremost in the ideal of first believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And in everything that that entails, giving time to it. What does it entail? Coming to know Christ as Savior. Is there works to that? No, no works at all. It is by faith. Justification, salvation is by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is this sense that once you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it will affect the whole of your life. And everything about you ought to change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It ought to be crystal clear on whose side you are on. And once it is clear whose side you're on, it ought to be that you tell other people about your great Savior and talk about what a change that he has wrought in your life. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It takes power to become the Son of God, and it takes power, God's power, to live the Christian life in a way that it is a recommendation to a lost and dying world. People ought to be recommended to Christ by the way you and I live. People ought to see us and listen to us and observe us, and they ought to get the idea that I really do need to come to know Christ as Savior. I say this to you this morning. Scriptures next week when we get into Romans chapter 5 and, and address verse number 15, one of the first things we see in the verse is that salvation is there listed as a free gift. A free gift. There's something unique about a gift, and that is that it only has to be accepted or received. There's no works involved in a free gift. And secondly, what's unique about a gift is it's usually given by someone who has some love for you. And that speaks volumes from the Scripture because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Somebody might say, well, Pastor, wait just a minute, though. Didn't you talk about the, the fact that we're in Adam and, and the imputation and all that and if a man was sinless, he'd still be a sinner because of his connection? Why isn't Jesus Christ a sinner then? Oh, I'm glad you asked. That's a simple one because he was virgin born and that's what the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ helps underline he did not take upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh he took upon himself the likeness of flesh in general as a human walking standard person but he did not have sin nature of Adam within himself that's what the virgin birth did for the Lord Jesus Christ and he is the only sinless person therefore he is the only one that will not as it were have as it were a taint of sin upon him that came down from Adam you and I do. So let me leave you with this. One, if you're in this service this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior because you realize you're a sinner, both in your connection to Adam and in the practice of your life. Obviously, they both are there, and we know that. But understanding that is exceedingly important that even if you could live a sinless life, you would still be a sinner because of the imputation of Adam's sin. The good news is that on the other side of the coin, as it were, God has imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. Just as you were in union with Adam, which we don't fully understand, we are also in union with Jesus Christ when you believe on Him as Savior. You become one with Him. We're, in fact, Paul writes often, you, if you're in Christ, you were in Adam in a union, and now if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're in Christ. I don't fully understand the whole union. But I understand what the scriptures say about it. And that's where faith comes in. So this morning, you're either in one of two places. You're still in Adam, and you need to be saved.
or you're in Christ and you can rejoice in the salvation you have been given. Whatever the case is this morning, I hope you take from Romans chapter 5 this important truth. The law made no difference. There was this uh, formal law that came through Moses. But before he ever had a copy of that formal law in his hands, men were still dying. And yet, it was a, not like what Adam did. Adam was a direct disobedience to God. It was not after that. It's rather in this thing of a sin nature that is passed from one to another in Adam. And so I say to you this morning, don't miss this truth. Let this truth settle deep into your heart because as I go further in my own ministry in Christian life, I'm more keenly aware than I ever have been before. Most people don't understand this fact about sin. Just this last week, meeting a man and talking and letting him do most of the talking, came to understand he does not see himself as a sinner because of Adam. He doesn't even see himself as being a sinner anymore. He believes he's past that marker, and he believes to a degree that he is actually on his way to full acceptance with God because he has really committed himself not to sin. This man looks at himself as the 1970s holy men were. You know, men who walked around and, and really had these hooded covers over their eyes and, and everywhere they went out in public, they pulled those things down just so they wouldn't see any evil. They wouldn't see any evil, wouldn't do any evil, wouldn't think any evil. And this guy sort of lives in this present society with that kind of mindset. I say this to you this morning. It doesn't matter what he doesn't see. It doesn't matter what he doesn't do. This man is a sinner. And as much as I could tell him and share with him, and even quoted Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, he looked as if, I don't know what world you're talking about. That's our problem. We're listening too much to what men say and not enough to what God's Word says, and thereby we are being deceived. And boy, is the devil a happy camper. And that, my friend, is why we need to get back to what the Scriptures are teaching and not just what men go about this country telling people who want to give them a feel-good sermon. I say to you, we're sinners. We're sinners by birth as attached and union with Adam, and we're sinners by choice. We do that which we ought not do. And I say to you this morning, if you have never believed on Christ as Savior, please let me urge, exhort, beseech, and beg you to come this morning and allow someone to show you from the Scriptures how you can be born again. If you are a Christian, as most would be, you've trusted Christ. There's been a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner, both in your connection to Adam and in your own practice. And you've come to faith in Christ and believe on Him as your only hope of heaven. Then let me urge you, exhort you to live like it. Let people know it. Let people hear you make this statement. I'm not going to heaven because of my good works. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I have a great Savior. He died for my sins. He imputed to me His righteousness. And I stand complete in Him, not in me. And that, my friend, takes all the glory away from man, gets all this business about what we do out of sight, and it pins all the roses on the chest of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. I hope you know him. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the Holy Scriptures and the truth that they convey to us, and especially about this truth that we so often seemingly overlook, this manner, this business, this whole issue concerning our being a sinner by virtue of not just because of what we do, but sinner, but because of what we are, an offspring of Adam, and having his sin imputed to us. Please help us here at the New Life Baptist Church not to miss this truth in the Bible. And more than that, help us to convey it to people we meet and talk with and in our witness. Help us to witness in a biblical way toward this truth. 
and help us to convey to folks that they need Christ. And at the end of this life, there is judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. There is something after this. And Father, I pray today that you'd help us to be more vigilant and help us to be more passionate and help us to be more practical and purposeful and fruitful and effective in our sharing this important truth with those people who need the Savior. And help us not to take it lightly. Oh, it may not be a great feel-good sermon. It may not be something that makes our day. But it is something that we need to know as a foundation upon which we stand. Thank you, Father, for drawing out and putting in process the great plan of salvation the way you did. Oh, we lost so much in Adam. But oh, how much we gained in Jesus Christ. Much more than we lost. Speak to our hearts. Bring forth the fruit you've ordained for this hour. Those who ought to come for salvation, those who ought to come for baptism, and those who ought to come for church membership and joining with us here at the New Life Baptist Church. Speak to every heart of that which you desire them to do, and then help us to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please, and turn in your hymn book to 282 if you need one. Let's sing the first stanza of Just As I Am. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, let me urge you and exhort you to act upon that which He has spoken. If you need to be saved, we delight in showing you from the Scriptures how you can be. And it is a matter of conviction. It is a matter that you come to the understanding you're a sinner, both by birth and by choice. And you understand that the Spirit of the Lord makes that conviction in your heart. It's not just by me telling you you are, and you say, okay, I accept that, I'll come and be saved. There must be a conviction of heart, of reproving in, in the word that Ryan used in class this morning of John 16. There must be a reproving of sin. And that's a conviction of sin. And so if this morning your sin is heavy and your load is something you cannot bear any further, I'd say to you this morning, the answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to Him if you would. Is God spoken, you simply obey. As we sing 282, verse number 1. Together, please. Just as I am without one plea. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart. Thank you very much. I appreciate your attention and your time. And I trust that it's been an investment. And I trust the Lord will use it to encourage you in a Bible truth that I am convinced is too seldom talked or pre preached. And I hope that you will get a grip on it so you understand it and you can share it with the folks with whom you have to do. Please be back with us for the evening service, 5 o'clock. Our choir will practice, 5.30 men will be praying downstairs. And then 6 o'clock, Pastor Pryor will make a presentation and Brother Brian will finish the service with a message. So I hope that you'll come and bring your Bible and bring someone along with you. And let's come and enjoy the Word this evening. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word again. What a blessing it is to have and to hold and to read, to study, to hear taught, preached, and then to go out and live for you and for your glory. And we do desire to bring you glory with our lives. And Father, I do pray this morning that you'll help us to understand and grip very firmly this truth about Adam and his sin that's been imputed to us. I pray we'll understand it and take it by faith, even in the parts we don't fully understand. And, Father, we would ask you today that you'd help us to be a, a very clear witness when we go to tell people them being sinners. Help us to understand the basis of that so we can tell them. 
and help them then to be convicted by your spirit, the word, and the word of God, that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we have a great concern in this country as we read Wednesday night that there are so many people who say they're born again, and yet so many of them believe that there are a multitude of ways to get to heaven. People who say they're born again and yet believe that, in fact, uh, they were always pretty good people. They were not necessarily sold-out sinners. Father, it's obvious that there's been a pollution of the truth of your word. In fact, some cases there's been a dearth of it. And in some cases there's absolutely been a, a changing of it just to pacify people. Help us around here, both our Sunday school teachers and our junior church workers and preachers. Help all of us to be absolutely biblically honest. Help us to tell the truth, no matter whether it's accepted or rejected. But help them to be reminded who rejected that it's your word, not ours. Thank you again for the New Life Baptist Church family. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to be together this morning. Help us not to take it lightly as a church family. And help us to be conscious and help us to be kindly, confectionate, concerned, and interested in the well-being of every fellow member and friend. Guide us as we go. Give safety and protection through the day. And bring us back for the evening service. Bless Brother Brian as he'll open the scriptures to us. Prepare his heart even now and give him your power to speak with the authority of your word. And bless our patch young people and use them as they minister to us this evening. Thank you again for this day, the morning, the Sunday school, the worship service. And as we anticipate the evening service, we give you the glory for it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You're dismissed.